Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, and this is episode number 230. And guess what? My voice is almost back. I'm almost back to normal. I've been telling you that we've been sick in our house, but the sickness is almost gone. Hooray. We have a kindergartner, and I'm learning that in kindergarten, germs fester in the classroom. And when they mature, they latch onto these children, and the children bring them home. And then the germs latch onto the adults. (laughs) My daughter got sick, but she was sick for like a day or two, and then she was good. Uh, Literally, me and my wife have been battling this for two weeks. Like We were were barely hanging on (laughs) for a while, Uh, but we're good. My voice is almost back. Uh, The congestion congestion is almost cleared up, and uh, we're almost back to to normal. But this episode is a lot of fun, because today we're talking to Daryl Epp who's a poet. I've never talked to a poet before in real life or on the podcast, but that's what Daryl is. He is a poet. Uh, He wrote a book, which is a collection of poems, and the book is called Permanent Smoke. And so in the episode, we talk about uh, poetry. How do you get into writing poetry? Uh, How is it different from writing fiction or nonfiction? Uh, If someone likes to write and they want to dabble in poetry, how do you flex that poetry part of your brain to write something that resembles some decent poetry. What does that look like? So he talks to us about that, talks to us about what this permanent smoke idea is, and he does a poetry reading for us, which was crazy. Like he picked two poems from his book and he read them. And then I was just like, all right, tell me what's going on in your brain (laughs) when you're writing this poem. Like, what is this poem about? What is it? It's, It's such an interesting conversation. And what I love about this book I love about Daryl's poems is you can read the poem and have no idea what in the world it's about when you first read it. But then about 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes later, hour later, you're thinking about the poem and you're like, oh, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about real life issues in the world, things that really matter in a poetic way. And it's absolutely beautiful. So if you're looking for something to stretch your imagination Uh, to tap into some intuitive sense inside of you, this is the book to get. Go to Amazon, pick it up, Permanent Smoke. I'll put the uh, link in the show notes along with my book, Rethinking Everything. It's my spiritual journey from uh, black and white thinking to a grand world of color. So that's also in the show notes, my my spiritual story, if you will. Uh, Also, Patreon, buy me a coffee, two places to go to support the show. And uh, special music, our friend Young Citizen, who is a hip-hop artist in Charlotte, North Carolina, doing amazing things in the world. Uh, Go check him out on Spotify, Apple Music, and all of the places. All that to say, my friends, that's it. Episode 230 with the poet, Daryl Epp. Enjoy. I've been busy searching for you, yeah. Trying to figure out if it's true, true. Don't think that I've been played by a fool, yeah This mind don't buy, don't play by the rules I'm gon' make sure that I play my cards right Intuition gave me signs that everything is alright Alright Contemplating on my moves, I'm in a fight Under pressure, feel the walls are moving and it's getting tight getting tight. The shuffle getting real. real I hope it lives on something good, I'm all in for the kill, kill Sometimes kill, it's getting kind of scary, I'm here for the thrill Decisions on top of decisions like I chose a pill The bottle getting kind of empty Temptations made us presence in the air, it's kind of tempting Shortcuts after question, but it got on my attention Alright hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast Today we're here with my friend Daryl to talk about his brand new book, uh, Permanent Smoke. And so, uh, Daryl, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have this time with you. Hi there. Well, thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. So today's conversation is going to be a little bit, a little bit different, have a different feel to it, because uh, Daryl is not just the author of yet another nonfiction book or a fiction book, but he's a poet. And uh, this is a book of poems. And I've never had a poet uh, on the show before, so this is pretty cool. But Daryl, the first thing I wanted to ask you is I'm really curious, uh, why poetry? Like, how on earth did you get into writing poetry? Because I know that writing nonfiction is very different from writing fiction, but poetry, how does one get into writing poetry and how is it unique to these other uh, genres of writing? Oh, um, I hope you weren't expecting a short answer to that question. Um, <laughs> Give me the dissertation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, 
I've done a lot of different kinds of writing. And in the 1990s, um, I worked in the theater where I wrote plays and helped to train actors. And that was really a good time. And um, then I wrote fiction, short fiction, journalism. And then around 2004, um, I was writing short fiction that was um, that people told me was very accomplished. And I was getting published. But to me, it felt too much like my influences, like my favorite writers, hmm. um, where, I, where I was always a reader, always reading, you know, literature. And um, I was always concerned that I sounded too much like my favorite authors, mm-hmm. where, um, where, where even if people liked it, it just didn't seem, you know, to have a point where... Mm-hmm. Um, there already is a Sam Shepard, but so why would the world need two of them, right? And um, also I was concerned that I was rambling and in poetry, anyone can tell when you're rambling because it just looks off, it just smells off, anyone can tell. Mm. So that discipline really appealed to me. So around 2004, I went to poetry as a vacation and um, ended up staying there where, when I went to poetry, to a poetry, I could talk about the, the things that always had concerned me, but um, because I, I didn't come from a poetry background, the, suddenly my voice seemed kind of fresh, where um, I read science fiction novels as a, as a child in the 20th century, and now in the 21st century, everything has become science fiction. Hmm. And... Um, this, and the science fiction novel form had a lot of bits and pieces that didn't appeal to me. And all I cared about was the strangeness and the imagery and the, and the tones. Mm. So in poetry, I can write what I consider science fiction, but just paint the picture and just leave it there without the he said, she said, and the buildup. So um, it's funny, poetry, some people might think it's old fashioned, but actually it seems to have a lot more in common with the way we live and communicate now than you know, a novel structure. Mm. Um, also, I'd have to say a long time ago, I read a poem by a poet named Edgar Allan Poe and the poem was called Alone. And it basically had everything I wanted in a poem where it had a great beginning, a great ending, um imagery that uh you hadn't seen that you hadn't seen before Mm -hmm. and every line had a surprise in it and when you first read the poem it feels like it's just a guy bearing his soul to you like this big outburst of passion from a real soul Mm -hmm. but when you actually break it down you find that it's actually full of craft but he was just enough of an artist to hide to like hide the wires. Mm-hmm. So you don't see like the ligaments mm-hmm. and the nuts and bolts. You just are along for the ride. Mm-hmm. So I always thought, wow, that's, that's a really impressive feat, you know, and wouldn't it be great to make someone else feel that way? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things when I was reading your, like your book and your poems, it, it almost felt like you were painting like a backdrop for me. Kind of like you said about science fiction, like you're painting the the scene but yet my mind was doing all the work with the characters. Like it wasn't like you were giving me what he said, she said, it was just, here's the scene and where's your heart and your mind going to go with it. And that's what intrigued me so much about it. Well, it's kind of funny. Um, One thing that I really get a kick out in literature is a strategy called gapping Mm. where you know how, when you watch Othello, you think to yourself, why? And you think, why is Iago such a jerk? And then you think, why? Why does Othello believe him instead of Desdemona? It doesn't make any sense. And the reason Shakespeare doesn't tell you, the reason Shakespeare is a genius is because he doesn't tell you. Where as soon as he has, as he, if he explains it, oh, it's because his dad spanked him too much or Mm. bad potty training or something. As soon as you explain it, it becomes inert and it's like a dead thing. But he's but when Shakespeare presents these people and doesn't give you the why, he's saying, "Yeah, welcome to Earth. It's messy, right?" right. So 
the worst thing in a story is when the writer talks down to you and fills in all the blanks for you. And um, this is one thing Anton Chekhov was a master of, where imagine a story where everything in the story is leading up towards this one mm -hmm. final beat. And you stop telling the story a semitone before that. When you do that, first off, it will make the reader's interest level go up. Mm -hmm. He'll say, what, what, what happened? And then the reader will have to think, well, did she say yes or did she walk away? And then the reader will end up thinking about the story the next day and end up imagining what happened in those blanks. Mm -hmm. And then the reader becomes a participant in creating the fictional world and um, just gets way more out of it. Um, also, um, you know, uh, David Mamet, who wrote uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, mm. um, he had, uh, he has two pieces of advice for people when they're writing, mm -hmm. and it's the best advice ever. And he said, um, in, every, in every story and in every scene in the story, arrive late, leave early. Mm. Okay. So... Let's say you're watching a movie about a bank robbery, about a bank robbery, and they're planning the heist. So they come in and say, hello, I think we should rob a bank. Yes, I'm also a bank robber. Let's plan a bank robbery, right? It doesn't sound real. It has all these problems to it. But if you start the story and you know that these people have already known each other for 20 years, they've already been, you know, been through this. So they just start saying like, what do you think about the thing? Is it good to go? Um, because the reader has this sense that he has to pick up, to prick up his ears and hurry up to get up to speed. Mm -hmm. Again, it makes it uh, more interesting for the reader. Um, plus, uh, leave early. Um, by the end of the story, the, the reader should know how these characters will act in a situation where you don't have to tell them, you know, what happened next because you, you'll know and also it's way more satisfying so um arrive late leave early and it also means um don't talk down to your reader always talk up to your reader where um i'm assuming that my reader is you know as smart as i am and that he's lived a few years on earth so that there are some things you know i don't have to explain and also it's obvious in my book that there are some things I'm concerned about. There are some global trends that I find alarming. Mm -hmm. But if I talked about them in a nonfiction way or made a sermon about them, then it would just be like Abraham Simpson, old man yells at cloud, right. you know, yeah. where it's like, oh, it's a sermon and people don't like hearing sermons and they don't, and, and they don't remember sermons and just, and like brains just don't work that way. Right. But if instead um, you give people this uh, ride and along the way in this ride that is hopefully entertaining, once in a while, they're like, oh, wow, yeah, it's true. Technology really has changed the way we, 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 uh, we relate to each other. Or if they think, oh, yeah, um, they said love thy neighbor. But due to changes in technology, mm -hmm. my neighbor never goes outside. So how is that? How is it possible to love your neighbor with these advances in technology? Mm -hmm. Oh well. And um, hopefully, after people finish reading the book, they think about this a day later, or a week later, or, or yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah. I think it works. So it's almost like a parable, right? I mean, that's why I think Jesus told so many parables in the Bible is because the, you could say something directly, but it doesn't always sink in as opposed to a parable or a story or a poem. Like you said, you think about it a day later, like, Oh, that's what he was saying. That makes a whole lot more sense. And your mind runs with all the different pieces of the poem or the parable to maybe draw different things out that you might not have gotten if someone just directly told you the point. Yeah. I certainly think our brains are, are, um, Hide, are hardwired for stories. Yeah. And, um, you know, certainly it's interesting how, you know, Jesus was good at telling stories and um, he ended a lot of his stories with question marks or with 
huge pieces uh, left, <laughs> you know, left left missing. Blanks, right? right. called <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the master. So, uh, what real quick, like, what what can you, what word of advice would you give to somebody who maybe wants to develop that poetry writing muscle? Because, like, I love to write and I enjoy reading poetry, but I have absolutely no idea where to begin when it comes to writing poetry. Like, I've tried but I get really annoyed with myself. I don't know if I'm like trying too hard, but like, what is your advice for somebody who maybe just wants to sit down and experiment a little bit with writing their own poetry? Well, um, it's, uh, that's, uh, wow. That's a, that's a good, uh, good question. I mean, on the one hand, I could give you a reading list, but that mm-hmm. reading list would be, you know, idiosyncratic and based on my preferences to a certain degree. Um, one thing I'd say is that poetry it's all about compression where, you know, you, like, you know, there's a difference between a poem and a newspaper article yeah. and a uh, poem is about um, um, trying to um, compress as much meaning into as small a space as possible. And you have these tools in your toolbox. There's things like rhythm, meter, repetition, mm-hmm. um, imagery, uh, you know, diction, which just means word choice, right? Um, to try to um, uh, compress meaning. Mm-hmm. So um, one thing I'd say that's kind of interesting, let's say you, you, uh, you sometimes when people start out trying to write poetry, um, they're kind of afraid or hesitant to go, to really jump in the deep end. <laughs> and I find they do too much explaining. Yeah. So let's say you, you like write a poem. Okay. And like, first off, don't worry if it's good or not. Like, the, like the, the tragedy isn't you writing a bad poem. The tragedy is you not writing a poem. So just go and do it. Mm. Okay. And um, once you do it, one thing that's, that's fun sometimes is think to yourself, um, you know how a normal speech, or if you're writing nonfiction, you have like uh, ligaments, like, uh, parts of grammar that are like uh, connective tissue, things like, so then I, and then therefore, mm-hmm. because, n- n- so, so the naturally I, so look at the poem you wrote and think to yourself, what if I went back and got rid of all of the uh, ligaments and mm-hmm. all those like connective tissue? Like, um, so, in, so in your poem, take out the word I, take out the word and, take out the word because. Mm. First off, if you need to, word, to use the word because, you should rewrite the poem. Because because should be obvious, because because, mm-hmm. right? Um, because the because should be implicit in the image before, mm. since, that, therefore. And you'll find that by getting rid of that kind of business, yeah. Um, first off, it makes your page of writing seem stranger mm. and more interesting, and also makes the imagery pop more. Mm. It's almost like trimming away the fat and just kind of give the, the very words. much so, very yeah. much so. Yeah. Um, and that's a big part of why I am so committed to poetry, mm-hmm. where um, people will come to me and say, "Oh, have you heard about this new novel?" That's the flavor of the month. And then I'll say, good Lord, where was the editor? This should have been <laughs> cut by a third. Right. Right. Yeah. And so many great novels, mm-hmm. they start on page 100. Yeah. And it's like, no, like I want value for my book buying dollar. Start on page one. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I like to think that my book starts on page one. Right. Sure. Um, where as soon as, you know, you jump in there. Um, you're already with me at the bus stop, n- you know, knee deep into my memories yeah. and my, you know, problems. And yeah, in a novel, <clears throat> you'll have to get through 300 pages of setting the stage for the point. Right. And right. with a poem, you make the point and it's over, you know, it's great. Yeah. yeah. That's really, that's really good advice. I think I, maybe I'll give it another shot. Maybe I'll give it another try. Cause I tried it about a year ago and I was like, I'm not going to do this. Maybe I'll, I'll take your advice and trim away some fat and see what happens. Also, another thing, um, uh, if you have a long poem that's maybe two pages long, look at it and think mm-hmm. to yourself, 
here's a here's a two page poem. What if it was a one page poem? Right. Yeah. I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying what if. Right. Mm. What's the harm in taking this poem and cutting it up into two poems and seeing what happens mm. and just look at every line and make sure that is every line like am I just re just repeating the point already made or is this adding some new uh, fresh imagery or some new bit of information that leads to the ending. Mm, that's good. What I thought we could do, Daryl, is maybe spend the rest of our time uh, doing a poetry reading of sort where uh, you read for us some of your favorite poems from the book and maybe tell us some of the story behind those poems and how they tie into your, your life, some of the heart behind them. I don't know, three, four, five poems, whatever's going to give us a good snapshot of, of Daryl Epp. Does that sound good? That sounds good to me. That's for sure. Perfect. Give me a second to get organized. Yeah, no, take your time. Take your time. I'll also say that while we're waiting, I've I've read obviously your poems, but I've also heard your poems spoken by you in some different videos. And the feeling that comes across versus reading it or having it spoken to you is entirely different. That's kind of a funny story where um this is my fifth book. Yeah. And um uh I've actually had people in my life say to me that they that they thought my books were really depressing until they heard me read them live right. and then that's when they realized that they were funny <laughs> um and and i thought well yeah why would i write a book if it wasn't funny like i certainly laughed laughed uh, when i was writing it right um you know um and it's funny i always had this thing where my reading voice uh is kind of a monotone and now I just kind of lean into that where people seem to get a kick out of the fact that um, they like the contrast between the strange stuff happening in the poems and the monotone uh, de uh, delivery. Mm. So, so I just play into that. There you go. It's an art. <laughs> yeah. So um, this is a poem which actually... I don't think is in that book. It's in the next one, but don't tell anyone. Um, <laughs> Nobody needs to know. Home and um, uh, yeah, it's about uh, someone I knew who uh, uh, who died, and when she died, I was kind of appalled that you know nothing changed and everything just the world just kept on turning. Everyone mm. just kept on shopping. So I wrote in a few poems about her. Yeah, this is a poem called. Um, Nanny ephemeralis. Caught a fish with a fish in its mouth, looking nervously past my shoulder for the food chain's puppet master. Whose hook am I on? I asked the trout. All this time, I thought I was dancing because I wanted to. Driving by Ephra's old place in the shadow of the shuttered foundry still rattles me like a roller coaster that needs its bolts tightened. With her gone, I can't even trust the Pythagorean theorem. And why ask me about elections seven time zones away when the back of my head is missing? My skin sack hangs slack like Salvation Army spandex. Five days without sleeping is my record. Sticky fingers and ace of spades are also records. Ever wonder where we'd be without slave labor? Our cell phones would still be in the ground, spooning with the fossilized trilobites. All that strip mining for one novelty belt buckle, such egregious inefficiencies. The itching is driving me insane, but pulling on the arrow in my heart just makes it worse. And all that blood's probably fake anyhow. Have you ever tried to stand up in a kayak? That's what 12 years of night shift was like, when all I wanted was a participation trophy and a heroic part to play in Martian politics. Not the telescope's Mars, Hollywood's Mars, with towering pyramids, unsmiling frost queens and weather machines. Have you ever roasted dinosaurs in a castle made of ice while gloomy parallelograms crept over the silent hedges? We should hang out sometime. So there's one down. 
So talk to me about like, uh, take a piece of that imagery, um, whether it's the piece about the cell phones or the dinosaurs, you talk about how you wrote this in the wake of your friend passing away. Like what, what is that imagery? Where, where does that imagery come from? Like, what is it referring to in your kind of remembrance of this person and their life and the wake of their, of their passing? Sure. Um, and um, hopefully this will be of some help to aspiring writers or writers who are listening, but basically mm -hmm. writing is hard work and to do it well, it takes a lot of energy and to really uh, meet the challenge, you have to go to the hot zone and write about what you're really obsessed with. Mm -hmm. And so first off, find out what that is, right? And um, so before you write, make a list of things that really bug you. And when I say that, I don't mean like Donald Trump, because that's like saying you like chocolate. Like it's, <laughs> like, it's like, you know, like everyone says, that doesn't mean anything. Right. But do you know that conversation you had 15 years ago with that douchebag and you just can't forget it and you wish you could, stuff like that. Right? Mm -hmm. So just find something that really bugs you and the things you dream about and things you just can't stop thinking about. And um, uh, it turns out I have a thing for, you know, um, the science fiction dreams we were sold in the 20th century how they've sort of uh, blossomed in kind of hideous, dreary ways in the mm -hmm. 21st century. So um, I kind of, you know, it's so basically find out what your obsession is and it mm -hmm. won't be the same as mine uh, because you're a different person, but whatever that is, lean into it. Mm -hmm. um, so, and then you'll build up this trick bag of, of images that are up to the task, like, for example, I had a previous book where I mentioned Lego a lot in the book, where I was trying to talk about how um, in our society, people are going for the, sim for the simulacra of the real thing more than the real thing, mm -hmm. and that everything's becoming chintzy and cheap and plastic. And again, um, if you just say that directly, You'll just sound like the crackpot at the end of the bar, you know, and, there, and there's one in every bar. It's not really, you know, exciting. But um, um, if instead in that book, I mentioned Lego a few times and then hopefully after like the fifth time, the reader would start to think, what's the deal with Lego? What right. do I know about Lego? Yeah. You know, and like, and like, oh, um, he's saying that our world that the is built out of like chintzy plastic building blocks and um so in the in the mm -hmm. book you see people who are on the verge of noticing that there's something wrong yeah. that um everything is kind of low quality and chintzy but uh you know they still have this desire for the transcendental um you know and they're said and they're being told like oh wow we can't give you something transcendental, but we can give you lower prices or two for one yeah. specials or whatever. Like, no, they have this hunger for the transcendental, right? So um, in that poem, it kind of started with, um, you know, like I like I mentioned, uh -huh. uh, my friend um, who, who was a real person. And then, um, uh, and then uh, along the way, I sort of, um, just bump into these other things where um, I have to say it talking about how you build a poem isn't exactly like talking about how you change a fuse mm -hmm. because um, for me, a big part of the fun of writing a poem is the spontaneity in the process. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when you're changing a fuse or fixing a leaky sink, you don't want any spontaneity. That's the opposite. Right. Of what you want, right? <laughs> right. But um, that's a big part of the surprise where um, in this kind of poetry, um, uh, you can start with something and um, one image will remind you of another image. Yeah. And it's and I hope it doesn't sound arty farty, because the fact is, this is how your brain works, mm -hmm. where you'll be walking down the street and you'll think, oh, wow, 
I need to get sour cream. And then suddenly you'll think about the $6 million man, or you'll think about something else. And you'll think, why did I suddenly think of that? I, you know, or wow, I haven't thought of that person in 10 years. Why am I thinking about her? Mm -hmm. And from the time you walk to your house to the 7-Eleven, um, your brain will just make, is uh, being bombarded with all this sensory data, but it's it at, to at top speed, it's, it's trying to regulate and um, organize the, the sensory data into a form that will create a worldview for you, mm -hmm. that will enable you to survive yeah. and cross the street without getting hit by a car yeah. so you can survive. Hmm. But at the same time, you're having all these daydreams. Um, so um, like I said, I kind of bounced around with, with writing for a long time mm -hmm. and read a lot, did all my homework. And as a writer, the more time you spend doing your homework, mm -hmm. the more you'll be allowed to allow spontaneity to add to the process. Hmm. Um, so, so in that poem, I could say, wow, you know, on the one hand, you know, I miss this person. That's an actual fact. But then, it, um, uh, um, rhythm and meter in poetry allows you to get away with a lot of stuff hmm. where, um, again, the difference between this and a newspaper article, is being pleasing to the ear hmm. where, if every line has something has a pleasant sound and a fresh, funny image that kind of gives the reader, um, an impetus to keep reading. Um, so that by the end, um, they can look back and say, Oh, wow, that was like a juggling act. I wasn't sure you were going to be able to keep all those bowling pins in the air, but right. you did it. Bravo. You know? Yeah. No, that's good. That's one, one of the questions I was going to ask you was about the spontaneity piece, because like I talked to a few fiction writers on the show who some people say that they have the whole plot kind of planned out before they start writing. Other people say it kind of comes to them as they're writing the story. So I was curious about that piece, because like in that poem you just read, there were so many different images in there. And I was curious, did you have these images like in your mind before you wanted before you wrote the poem or did they just kind of come to you? as you're writing. So it makes sense that you talk about how the poem develops almost the way that the brain works and that you have these different associations that you make and it just kind of comes together. Yeah. Um, one thing, when I started writing poetry, I thought, wow, this, this form can allow you to do a lot of cool effects. Yeah. And then a few years into it, I actually thought to myself, wow, this form allows you to really simulate consciousness. Mm -hmm in the sense that um, when you're walking to buy sour cream, you can think about a fictional character as easily as you can about a real person or the past as the future. And there's no real barriers of time and space when you're daydreaming. So in a poem, um, you know how like in a novel, you have a setting, rising action, climax, denouement, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, does, does your day feel like it was plotted like a Tom Clancy novel? Mm. Or does it feel more like a Marc Chagall collage, you know? And in a, in a, in a poem, you can just you know, really capture, I think, more of what it's like to be alive. Yeah. By just, you know, jumping in and saying, this is what I, you know, this is what I, and um, it's like, if I say, what did you do today? You mm. wouldn't say, you know, I sat in a chair for eight hours. Um, the most interesting parts of your day um, happened between your ears, you know. That's right. And, um, and I know there are writers who write a novel and they have the ending planned out yeah. before they start writing. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, um, I don't want to criticize anyone, right? But... Mm -hmm. um, I don't really get that. I was thought when I was writing a story, if I knew how it was going to end, I thought, why would I bother writing it? Why not just think about it? And um, I was always a big believer in if I'm surprised by how a story ends, there's a much better chance the reader will be surprised. I think that I think it's, you know, just in hearing you talk about that, I think that I mean, that 
could segue easily into one's theology. And I wasn't going to, I'm not going to ask you any theology questions, but just like, you know, for me growing up, like I just believed that God had this blueprint of the universe and my life was all planned out and it's going to happen the way that it happens. But now I'm in this place where I've kind of abandoned that idea. And I just kind of believe that life happens the way that it happens and the divine or whatever is with me for the ride. So I feel like my, my life is more like a poem, <laughs> the development of a poem, as opposed to this outline story that's in this perfect format. And it's going to end the way that the grand master has decided it's going to end. <laughs> you know, I think that's great because I certainly have a lot of problems with our mass media entertainment at the moment. Mm. And I, and I hate superhero movies I hate most things that people like, <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, I really think there's something uh, uh, fascist and ugly about a lot of the stories we've been told about how um, we're, we're brainwashed to wait for some hero to come and save the day. Yeah. yeah. And I really hate, and I really hate, uh, hate that crap. And um <laughs> there's so much modern entertainment that is basically just might makes right. And, and it's okay if this guy uses force because his lightsaber is a certain color or something. Right. Yep, yep. And it's just awful. And, um, uh, the, and yeah, I, you know, this sounds, I don't want to sound arrogant or maybe I do, but um, I really think what I'm trying to do is get to something that is true and, when I say true, I mean something that is universal, that is universal. It's something that doesn't change. Yeah. And it's like, you know, when you read poetry from a thousand years ago or 4,000 years ago, you can hear a voice that is, uh, that has the same complaint yeah. or the same problem that you have, you know? And, um, there are these things that are universal, right? Yeah, that's right. All right, so uh, give us another poem. What's next on your uh, on your list for us? Okay, this is a poem, and if you buy the book Permanent Smoke, this is page forty-eight. Hmm. This is a poem called "Left-Handed Poem for a New Economy." I've made a lot of mistakes, but not the ones you're thinking of. Did I really jump off a helicopter into a speeding convertible? Or was that the TV detective who held my hand after layoff number four? So hard to tell Bigfoots from bad guys this close to the finish line. Lego flowed like a river until it wound up in the sea, ensnared by tuna nets and vast schools of bubble wrap. The Catholic Sisters of St. Anne's gave me water during a heat wave, and Rockefeller's interest kept accumulating. I glimpsed two competing economies, a new math without winners, losers, gave my head a shake. A butterfly blotted out the sun, laughed, disappeared. The gleeful watchmaker behind the curtain immune to time's ravages, gave the color wheel an extra spin. I wore out my shoes for just one smile, played hide and seek with the security guard in the impound lot, looked up just as the cargo jet flashed its landing lights, took it as a divine sign. Hairless hatchling dodges traffic, even sniffs the far off nest, Will the NAFTA superhighway let her live? There is no wrong answer in a choose-your-own-adventure book. I'm left-handed means I'm sinister, means scissors are a challenge, means I'm more likely to die on the factory floor. Your tools weren't made with my kind in mind. Lost so many coins at the wishing well, you'd think I'd take the hint. There's a poem. Hmm. So what's going on in that, in that poem? What's going on in your, in your mind as you're writing this poem? Well, it's kind of funny. What, what you were saying about the last poem, about mm -hmm. how you would change your mind about how the world works and how the world was plotted. 
Um, uh, um, it seems that as I'm aging, um, which I'm doing rapidly now, you know, it's like you will joke about, you know, <laughs> uh, gradually then suddenly, right? right. So um, <laughs> I've really become more interested in, uh, in gratitude. Mm-hmm. And um, I really think it's important that as you age, you, you make an effort to become more grateful. Mm. And it's like, if you wanted to become a piano player, you'd have to practice. Mm. But people think you can end up being a grateful person without practicing, which is weird. So, um, so my wife and I try to, you know, find, you know, try to practice that. Mm-hmm. And um, um, basically in this poem, you know, uh, I just have an experience of, um, you know, going to a food bank about three or four years ago and getting food from these people. And um, uh, that was a really interesting experience because on the one hand in our culture, and obviously what I'm saying now, it isn't unique to me. I didn't think of this. Mm-hmm. It's, it's obvious, but um, we are told in our culture that, um, you know, Selena Gomez, what happened to her today is really important. Because uh, she's really a lot more attractive than we are, or whatever. And um, what, what this person did is really important because they're very wealthy. Um, and we're told this so often, it becomes obvious. Like, uh, people want to be successful, attractive, and wealthy. Um, but, the, uh, but the funny thing is, um, no matter what happens, you're all going to die. Mm. You're all going to get old and weak and frail and turn to dust. So that's kind of a wash. So, you know, uh, what do you do with that knowledge? Right. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, so you're under this huge pressure whenever you step outside to. Um, uh, well, basically. Um, my. I hope my books make people pay more attention to their mm-hmm. lives and their surroundings yeah. because if they don't, and if they just sleepwalk through their day when they're making their rounds, by default, that, uh, that, air, that area of, of their mental landscape will be um, colonized by people who don't have their best interests at heart. So um, I just thought, wow, you know, these people are in the news over here. Um, because they're billionaires and they did a billion dollar thing over here. And then I hear standing in line at this food bank to get free food from these people. And, and I, and I just thought to myself, no, I, uh, I dare to say that what is happening right now is important. Mm. And these people here are important. Even if they'll never be in a newspaper yeah. Or, you know, uh, go viral or something. Yeah. So I guess the starting point for the poem was trying to talk about um, that, about how uh, that's one thing that did actually happen to me uh, using this food bank. Mm. And then um, just thinking about how there is always this war on um, about um what you will focus your attention on. It's really good. So last question, why, why permanent smoke? What is the, what does this title mean in, in regards oh, yeah. to the poems? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I came up with the, with that poem about seven years ago mm-hmm. with that idea seven years ago. And I wanted to write a book about my hometown of Hamilton, which is on the Western tip of Lake Ontario. And, was until very recently a steel town where they made steel kind of like a Baltimore or Pittsburgh, I'd, I guess you might say. And um, now due to robotics, we make a lot more steel than we used to while we employ 90% less people doing mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So that's obviously a concern about what do you do when you have um, a generation of young men who don't have decent jobs, right? And that's a problem that's happening like all over, 
you know? Yeah. So I had this idea to write a book about that. And it was called Permanent Smoke because on the one hand, uh, out, out my window, I see a lot of smokestacks. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, smoke isn't permanent, it's ephemeral. Mm-hmm. And I also wanted the book to be about the ephemerality of memory and about how, um, uh, on the one hand, people got their identity from these steel mills uh, that employed them, and now they're gone, and mm-hmm. about how your memory sort of makes sense of this after the fact. So on the one hand, it was called permanent smoke because of where I live, being a steel town, Hmm. and also about um, uh, just the way, you know, our brains try to construct a coherent point of view about it all, kind of armchair quarterbacking reality after the fact. (laughs) So then I thought to myself, the longest street in Hamilton is Barton Street. Um, uh, It's a very long street. So I had this idea where I said, I'll do a book where every poem on the book takes place at an intersection on Barton Street. Mm. And I thought that'll be a great way to talk about um, the history of the town and also about things that are universal. Where Where here's the exercise. Um, imagine there's an intersection in your town in North Carolina where you've stood there a thousand times. So the next time you stand there, think to yourself, on this intersection, what happened here five years ago? What happened here 50 years ago? What happened here 100 years ago? What mm-hmm. happened on these coordinates 300 years ago? And, and at the very least, that will make your day more interesting. Mm. So I had this idea so, for example, about a, a few blocks from here, um, uh, near Barden and Victoria, um, they had a factory where they made Studebaker cars, where um, men could go to a job where they made enough money so they could have a wife who doesn't work, kids, a car, a boat, a cottage, mm. and, and, and they could walk to work. And then when Studebaker shut down in 1963, um, that was when the whole commuter age started about, you don't want to live downtown, you want to live in the suburbs mm. and not know who your neighbors are. And that's when our communities really got atomized. So what happened to the Studebaker plant out my window, I think it's important, but it's also kind of emblematic of things that happened all over the Western Hemisphere. Mm. So then I had this idea for this book, and then I, I wrote a bit of it, and then suddenly I lost interest, and it sounded too much like work, where I was doing research and stuff. And I thought, hmm, suddenly it's not as much fun. And then I thought, if, if it's not fun for me, how could it be fun for the reader? Mm. So I put that project uh, on hold and wrote another book. And then years later, I had this idea where I thought, what if I just took that bit and made it a section of a book instead of the whole book? So it had like, so the whole book had different flavors. Yeah. So that's what happened now, where um, Permanent Smoke has about 50 poems, then 25 poems about Barden Street, and then the short story at the end. Yeah. Wow. I love it, man. I could listen to you tell me stories all day long <laughs> but we're just about <laughs> we're just about out of time but this has been a lot of fun really thank you so much for taking the time to join me and thank you for this great work you're putting in the world well i really appreciate having you as a reader that's great thank you very much yeah for sure and where can people go uh, online to interact with you and maybe some of your work any specific well, places um, you want to point them to yeah sure um the main thing is the book permanent smoke is on is on Amazon, Kindle, paperback, but um, I'm on Twitter all day long, and my Twitter handle is my name, Daryl Epp. Awesome. Well, I'll put the link to that in the show notes, and obviously the link to your books as well. Maybe we can okay, do this well, again thank sometime. thank you so much. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, great. Thanks, Daryl. Wake up, get your morning started. Drinking daily coffee, got this money on my mind. Sun ain't always shining, but it's brighter days ahead. Wake up, wake up, get your morning started, oh. drinking daily coffee.
coffee, got this money on my mind. Way up. Sun ain't always shining, but it's brighter days ahead. Way up, way up, way up. Got myself to see the big picture. You not alone, I'm right there with ya. Trust me, get up. Guess I gotta be more stricter. Keep my head up, getting more slicker. I know, yeah. Hey. Gotta move my feet, put in the motion I know that every door I walk up to is bound to open Wish it all could be so easy, I insert a token Hit that thing on both sides, if the size is broken Move on, oven cooking, I be on the slow grind Anything I put my mind up to, I bound to be mine's Best to get it by my way, follow suit and follow line Hope you got it, hope you get it, go and check the guidelines, yo Wake up, get your morning started Drinking daily coffee, got this money on my mind See the sunrise, beauty all in the sky, so really wipe all my cries. Haven't felt this in the wild, man. I can't even lie. Living one day at a time, man. I'm just getting by. Job is stressing me with all the nonsense. Can't stop it. Quitting, then I'm on my own terms. Make a profit. Making sure I'm counting every penny in my pocket. Chessing ain't no checkers on my moves. That's a promise. Just keep a real bro, that's all that I know. Waking up at crack of dime, time not getting slow. Keep it moving, I'ma do the same, need a for growth. Before I blossom, gotta back up all my seeds on the low. Let's go. Yeah, keep it moving, I'ma do the same, need a for growth. Yeah. Before I blossom, gotta pack up all my seeds on the low. Let's go. Wake up, get your morning started. Drinking daily coffee, got this money on my mind.